This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. And it's one thing to say, you know, I'm going to get up, I'm going to go outside my walls, I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit and go wherever He leads me and, and you know, take those divine appointments as people come into my life and, and my plans get changed. That's one thing. It's one thing to be willing to go outside the walls uh, when we are on mission to go and to evangelize. It's quite another thing when we follow Christ outside the walls and into the desert. It's a very scary, anxiety-ridden thing to say, I trust you enough, God, that you know where you're going, even though nothing around here looks familiar. Not, I see no options for sustenance. Everything depends on you being who you said you are. Um, and and I trust here in the middle of this wasteland that I'm going to be able to get out on the other side and be better for it. This is what the children of Israel had to do in the book of Exodus, where they followed God out of the slavery of, of Egypt following what appeared to be this wandering, aimless pillar of fire and cloud, trusting somehow that they were going to make it into the promise. Uh, maybe you feel that way. This has kind of been what our last year and a half has been. Um, as we have looked at the uncertainty, and, and it looks like there may be another round of uncertainty coming our way, uh, that we were right at the edge of the desert. We were right. We could see the, you know, civilization. Oh, and then the, the, the pillar moved. And so we have this choice. How are we going to follow Christ outside the walls in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of dryness, in the midst of desert? Well, I've got a new book in my hands. It came just at the most appropriate time. It's from Ave Maria Press. And it's called Just Rest, Receiving God's Renewing Presence in the Deserts of Your Life. That's, that's a really interesting book. I want to I talk about that. And then, of course, you look at the bottom, you see the byline, and it's none other than the Bible study evangelista, Sonia Corbett, who we've had on the show before. So thrilled to have you here again. Sonia, how are you today? I am great. That was the best segue ever. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. So you got this book. I wonder what has been going on in your life that you thought, hmm, I should write a book about anxiety in the desert. <laughs> well, it's interesting. It came out of my own desert, to be honest, but it has been very, very timely. It's been very, I mean, just watching all that's going on. And when I was writing it, it was in the middle of COVID when it first hit. So yeah. I just, yeah, it, it was a Holy Spirit thing because I, I didn't time it that way on purpose. Yeah. So, um, you are patterning the, our our response to stress and anxiety in the desert based on doing a Bible study, going back to the Old Testament and looking at the journey of the children of God, whom he loves through the desert. God takes us in these places that we don't want to be. And we tend to think of it uh, of any kind of desert as, well, it's either punishment or God's mad at me or I did something wrong. And you're challenging those assumptions. So take us a little bit through the premise of of what you see the desert in our lives meaning or being for. Well, 
Okay. First of all, we do, when we find ourselves on the desert, we almost feel like we wandered there accidentally. Mm-hmm. And, but if we look at Jesus, he was in the desert on purpose. The Holy Spirit drove him there. Yeah. And one of the things, the whole reason this book came about and the whole premise behind it was we, this was back when my husband and I were, we were non-Catholics at the time and we experienced a couple of church splits. And after that second split, it was so devastating. We began, we left that church and we began a desert. It, it was, for me, it was the worst, most difficult, confusing, dark, dry, miserable time of my entire life because I had been accustomed to serving in church in every possible way that I could use my gifts or even just experiment. You know, I just loved it. And when we left that church, we we went to basically hide in a mega church down the road, you know, 40 miles away. And when we got there, I expected to just jump back in and all of the places that I would normally serve were full yeah. and there was no place. So I had no place to use my gifts, which felt disobedient, first of all. And then secondly, I felt like I was being punished. And and that sounds, it sounds like a minor thing and it should have been possibly, but it was it combined with lots of other things that had happened up to that point, which we'll get into, I'm sure, um, later. But the whole process there, I, I began to really, really struggle with God. And he told me through Hebrews chapters three and four, where there is a review of sorts in the New Testament of that whole Exodus journey. And through that, he said to me, they don't know my ways and they will never enter my rest. And I knew he was speaking directly to me. And I knew he was saying to me, I want you to learn how to rest. And I said, but I'm not tired. I'm not (laughs) tired. Why are we here? You know, I just felt, I felt, I felt like I had been benched. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know why. And I, and and I was in pursuit of a promise that he had given me years before. And so that was the other one of the other parts of the whole thing that were that was so miserable was I was supposed to be I was supposed to have my promise. Yeah. I was supposed to at least be working toward it and there was no place to do that. Well, and let's so, talk just a little bit about this idea of rest and and in the in the context of the desert, because we don't know how to rest at all. If we have any free time or something that's not scheduled, then we're going to doom scroll as it's called, right? We're just going to keep scrolling and finding something else to occupy our attention because by golly, we've got to have that constant stimulus. We, we don't like silence. We, you know, I've gone a couple of times out to, to do a silent retreat at a monastery and it, it takes me, a full three days just to shut off the inner monologue that's going on in my head that's constantly trying to fill that void to a place where I can even begin to rest. Three days of doing nothing, of, of just constantly shushing in order to get to a place where I can start the process of what it might be to rest. And, and so, as you mentioned in the book, rest is not the thing we do when there's nothing to do. Rest is a requirement for us. And it's something that, that in the whole order of creation, as we look at Genesis and how God modeled for us living, right? Rest is 
an essential and and uh, and ongoing component of it. Like you do this every seventh day, once a week, not just you know kick back and watch the football game, but you need to go and rest on this day. Yes. So the main thing about the desert that is so terrifying is that void. It's the absolute void of everything. And what that does is it begins to pull up all this anxiety and all of this fear and and lots and lots of stuff from the past and all these deprivations occur in the desert and you you start to panic. You don't but that pulls up all the roots that God is really trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we find ourselves in that desert that's exactly what he said to me. I said, I'm not tired. And he said, you don't even know what rest is. Yeah. And then he offered me several little deprivations that <laughs> provoked all this ugliness in me. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's right. I'm not resting. I'm, I'm inactive, yeah. but I'm not at rest. I'm pissed off. I'm, <laughs> I'm scared. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out, you know, like we do. I mean, we just do. That's just part of it. But I realized when he said to me, you must learn to rest. When you said it was a requirement, that's exactly what he said to me. If you don't learn this, mm-hmm. first of all, you'll you'll forfeit your own promised land, just yeah. like they did. But secondly, this Exodus journey is a template. It is a it is a model for us and a type of our final rest of heaven. So if we don't learn how to rest, we could forfeit heaven completely. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly, that's why it's so important that we learn these lessons. And we think that it's somehow it's voluntary, that we can go to the desert on our own. And we can, we can, we can go on silent retreats. We can do that kind of thing. But it's more important that we, we follow that pillar of fire and cloud on a day-to-day basis because he's offering us the deprivations that help pull up all that stuff that he's trying to heal in us all the time yeah. and we're resisting it. Well, you know, so one of the things you mentioned there reminded me of my upbringing as well. I grew up in the Protestant church and and heaven was always this thing that was out there, right? When I die, I got to go to the sweet by and by, right? There's all these, these uh, Fanny Crosby hymns to that effect uh, out of the Cokesbury hymnal. I don't know if you ever had that one. Um, it, but when you look at the the gospel writers, when you look at uh, St. John, as he's talking about eternal life, the Greek construction of that word is saying that eternal life begins now, right? It's a life that starts now and then goes into eternity. It's not something we're going to get later. And so, you know, as you're saying, oh, well, (laughs) some people say, well, I'll I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'll rest when I'm dead, right? Um, That's that's for the promise for later. But the truth is, is that... um, we have to begin living that abundant life and that eternal life now so that when we sleep, not die, when we sleep, it'll be no big change. Right? Yes, because it's the door. Yeah. We don't realize that the desert is the doorway to the promised land, to the to heaven. We have to go through that in order to know how to live in it when we get there. That's the whole point. And it, and it is... It is something that happened in the past with the children of Israel, but it's true of our our whole lives here on earth. The desert is the doorway. If we don't learn this lesson, we have no idea. We don't even see the door. We don't we don't realize that that's what's happening. It's not 
an option is what I'm trying to say. That's what the scriptures are so clear about, especially in Hebrews. This is not an option. If we don't learn this, we've, we have missed the whole point. Yeah. Well, you know, you you look at the, um, at the desert and you look at the anxieties that are brought up and, and all of them have to do with how will I survive in the desert? Because we, it's going to bring up trauma. It's going to bring up, um, coping mechanisms, all kinds of things that we have put in place to protect ourselves because we maybe have felt abandoned in the past. So I I have to look out and see the scenario and be on my guard so that that never happens to me again, right? Exactly. And and God's saying, okay, but I'm, I'm here and I'm bringing you here and I'm trying to get you into a place where you no longer rely on yourself and your own mechanisms, but you rely on me in your, in your barrenness, in your desert. Yes, because when we're coping, when we're in that place of fear and deprivation and we let that anxiety take over and we start coping the way we've always coped, the human body can only do two functions. It can protect or it can grow. And if you're in protection mode all the time, which is what coping is, you're not growing. Mm -hmm. So God is trying to get us to a place of of rest so that we can grow, so that we can grow out of the coping mechanisms that may have worked in the past, but no longer work. And we know they don't work because we live in fear and anxiety, purposelessness and futility. And the Psalms, the, the references there in the passage in Hebrews, they point us back to the Psalms. And that is a That is a specific symptom of not resting, purposelessness and futility. So if we're living as Catholics in purposelessness, we just look around and go, is this it? Is this all there is? If we're living in that place, we're not resting. Mm -hmm. That is a main symptom of not resting. And so God, he allows the deprivations of the desert. And for the children of Israel, those those were food and water. Yeah diversions, entertainments, those kinds of things, leaders, bad leaders, or what they thought was a bad leader. Those kinds of things are meant to provoke all of that coping so that we learn to go to God rather than relying on those old coping mechanisms that are keeping us from growing. There's, um, there's this old, well, I say old, there's this song from the eighties, right? Uh, by Rich Mullins. I don't know if you are familiar with him. There's this line in there that I just, I keep coming back to in this conversation, but just also within my own life as I go through these kinds of deserts. Uh, And he says, uh, everything that could be shaken was shaken and all that remains is all I ever really had. And that's the purpose of the desert. All of these entrapments that we, we hold tightly to get shaken and we see how frail they are and we see the the cracks that appear in the walls that we've constructed as God wants to leave us with all that truly remains. Exactly, yes. <clears throat> and the thing too is when what what we really discover there, like you said, is it's not just all that we ever had, but what happens is we begin to try to possess. We we think that the promise is ours or the job is ours or the kids are ours or the marriage is ours. We possess it. And when it starts to crumble and it starts to just, 
it starts to just sift through our fingers and we cannot hold on to it. That is exactly what God wants us to realize is that we don't possess anything. Mm-hmm. We, everything is a gift and the tighter we hold to it, the less we really have it. And, and the more he, the more deprivations he allows, the more obvious that becomes to us. And we can either continue to grasp and to cling and to strangle all of those things through our coping, or we can learn to let those go and realize they were never ours to begin with. And that's when, that's when we really, that's when they become the gift that they were meant to be. And they become all they were meant to be as well. We, we cling so tightly and in doing so we strangle the very things we love the most. We're talking today with Sonia Corbett about the new book, Just Rest, Receiving God's Renewing Presence in the Deserts of Your Life on Ave Maria Press. Yeah, I, as you mentioned that, the, the, we see that throughout Scripture as well. Uh, you've got um, whoever would save his life must lose it. Whoever would lose his life would save it. All the way back in the Old Testament, you have the whole story of Abraham having to sacrifice Isaac and that process of being willing to let go of that which is most precious to us and trusting that God is going to do what he's going to do, right? That that God is not going to in any way um, destroy the promise, that he's going to find some creative, just like Abraham, according to the book of Hebrews, I know that you're God and that you can even raise the dead, and so I'm going to obey this even though it makes no sense to me in my logical, rational mind, right? Oh, I love the word you use there, creative, Mm-hmm. some creative way to preserve and and give you the promise that and I came to a moment like that exactly like that when I during that time where I was learning to rest <laughs> the only reason I was willing to go through that with God is because he basically told me if you don't learn this lesson you won't be able to receive your promise mm-hmm. and I was like all right let's do it and I was <laughs> you know bring it lord bring it so I was willing to kind of just suffer everything knowing that somehow it was going to get me closer to the promise but there came a moment when I had researched my way to the Catholic church and I, I saw that promise and I said, I have to leave this behind. I, I looked in the landscape of the Catholic church and I said, there's no one there that does what I do. Yeah. There's, I did not see any way at all that I would ever be able to to do what I felt like God was calling me to do. And I had to do that very thing. I had to lay that promise on the altar in, in just this total surrender, like, all right, I'm, I don't even expect it. I didn't even expect it at that point. I, I wasn't looking for a creative way that God could resurrect it. I knew he could, but I really felt like I had just missed it somehow. And, and so when I walked into the Catholic church, it it was, it, oh my gosh, it was so painful. I cannot even tell you how painful that was. <laughs> it was so painful because I believed that God had given me that promise and to leave it there on the altar and walk into the Catholic church was, it was brutal. And yet here I am, here I am standing in that promise, you know, in my ministry. And, and you cannot ever, you cannot ever outgive God. You just can't. Well, and one of the other things I would say is that often we get a conception of what the promise is. Like we hear True. the word, we, we, I, I, I give it this picture. We see the pillar of, 
fire begin to move in a direction and we're like, all right, God, I got it from here. And we kind of just run ahead. <laughs> exactly. And, and then, you know, the, he took a left back there, but we missed it because we kept running, right? Uh, that, that following God is not necessarily linear. It's like going through a maze or it's like, I, actually the best example I have of following God is like following God in a dance, right? That it's not necessarily even all the time to get to the destination. Sometimes it's just to follow him through that next spin, right? That, that God oh, is, that's beautiful. God is leading us in a, in, in grace, because that's a that word works in both scenarios, uh, in a, in a grace filled pattern, and we have to be ready for the twists and turns and dips and everything else that are going to come along because that's the way God leads. God leads us intimately and not like some some guide that we've hired to take us down the path. I love that. I absolutely love that. And what is so encouraging, I think, about the the Exodus story is that while you're twirling and dipping and stepping on toes and being <laughs> stepped on and all of that, where you're you're going, what the heck? We've been at this for a year now. Right. <laughs> I mean, are we going anywhere? You know, and it's so frustrating. And yet, when you when you when you are raised from the dip. And you stand and look around, suddenly you're right there. Yeah. You're there and you wonder, how in the world did you get me here through that? Yeah. It is, it is the most, this is why it talks about purposelessness and futility being the symptoms of, of unrest. Because when you're really dancing with God like that, it is a thrill. It's painful, but it's the kind of pain through the deprivations when he shows you what he's doing and he can't give you the whole view, right? But he'll give you something. He'll give you something to get through that step that's so difficult so that you'll take the next one. And when you see that and you see that there is a method here and there is there that your suffering is not arbitrary, that it's all meant for something that you didn't even imagine when you yeah. see that it is the most thrilling thing ever you're willing to do anything when i when i realized that's what he was doing i i did i said all right do it lord whatever you got to do i'm willing and of course the the what i call pop quizzes came and i'm i'm miserable you know and i'm like oh my gosh i'm never going to make it through this i'm never going to make it and then you come out of it and you go oh okay i did make it and i learned I know exactly what I was supposed to learn from that. And then you recover. There was a, a, a time of recovery for me. And then I would go, all right, what's next? Bring another one. And yeah. I was ready, you know, I was, I mean, I really wasn't, but, but I was ready to, <laughs> I was ready to try, you know, yeah. if this is what it takes, then let's do it. And it is the th most thrilling thing ever. It's the whole point. There's this uh, passage in Paul and I'm, I don't off the top of my head recall exactly where, but it's one of the closings of the books. It's kind of a benediction. And he says this in almost in passing. He says, now to him, speaking of God, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all you could ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church forever. I don't know, there's something, some better closing than that. Um, we, we think that we know what the promise is. We think that we can see it on the other side. We don't understand the desert. Um, but the truth is, is that our imagination is small and frail. And what God wants to give us is beyond what we could ask or imagine. 
And because of that, we have to break out of our imagination and out of the things we've been asking for to, we, to, to where we get to the place where all we're asking for is him. And we have that example in St. Thomas Aquinas, where at the end of his life, uh, he's having this mystical experience and God asks him what he wants. And he says, nothing but you, Lord. Amen. Everything else falls away. I, just you. And then all these things. Seek first, as, as Jesus said in the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all the other things, the the concerns of life, the things that we think are so important. All the other things are going to be added onto us. Yes, and one of the things, though, that I found so interesting and comforting is I I realized during that process that I had no idea what God was doing. <laughs> I mean, I thought we were headed to the promise, and and when I came to realize I don't know where where we are or what we're doing, and that's okay, I began to rest in that, and that began to be okay with me. I began to lean into that. But one of the most beautiful things, and this is part of why I wrote the book, because I want to encourage people, it will look like you thought, Mm -hmm. but there's so much more to it because we do think so small. And so God is, and he does this with all of his people, with Moses, with Abraham, with David, all of his people, they had an idea of what it was. Abraham thought it was a son and he, he got the son and then God said, all right, you got that, but that's not even what's in my mind. Yeah, You're not going to just be a father of one son. You're going to be the father of all of the people of faith. So we get the promise and God is gracious enough to give it to us. If it truly is from him, he gives it to us in the way we think it it's supposed to be. But then he shows us the other part of it, which was what was in his heart and mind the whole time. And that's when you're like, oh my gosh, he's so good to us. He gives us he gives us the, the thing the way we see it, but then he shows us what was in his heart, and that's the part that blows us away. We're like, oh, my gosh, I would have never imagined that, mm-hmm. and yet it is beautiful and perfect, and, and as Thomas Aquinas says, it, great, that grace builds on nature. God takes us to the nature part, right? exhausts everything that we can possibly do, makes us miserable so that we'll quit <laughs> possessing it. And then he says, okay, now you're ready to actually receive the real thing. Mm-hmm. And then you're just completely blown away. And we're just such slow learners. Like we have to exhaust all of our other options and, and get to the place where we realize that we really can't achieve this promise on our own for us to finally let go and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm going to turn it over, God. I'm going to give it to you. And if we would start in that place, oh man, how much heartache would we save ourselves my guest today is sonia corbett we're talking about her new book just rest receiving god's renewing presence in the deserts of your life it's available right now on ave maria press that's ave maria press.com when we come back we're going to talk about some of the pragmatics how do we get from where we are to that promise that god has for us sonia is going to walk us through the steps Don't go anywhere. There is so much more to come right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with T.L. Putnam.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. We're talking today about dealing with the desert, letting the desert in some ways deal with us, right? We, uh, we go through these subversions of our expectations as God leads us through the desert places. Uh, maybe you have been experiencing a desert over the last 18 months as we've gone through this pandemic. Uh, and and everything has been shaken. Our expectations of of work, of relationships, everything's been kind of thrown in a tizzy. But maybe, maybe you have some other desert going on in the midst of this, or you're recalling one in the past and trying to make sense of it. The truth is, is that each of us are going to face the desert. We're going to face some lack or some loss. And we have to come to terms with understanding what it is, why we're there, what it is that God's doing there. Sometimes we say, you know, God, get me out of here. And he's like, no, no, I just got you in here. We're going to come through it. We're going to get to the other side of this. And so there's a number of steps that we have to go through. One is we have to understand what God's doing in that. He says in the book of Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the, the earth, so, so are my thoughts high above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. So the first thing we have to do is this God of abundance is leading us into a place of lack. We have to come to understand, what, what are you doing, God? And Sonia, I know that that's kind of the primary place you take us in this new book, Just Rest, available on Ave Maria Press. So let's start there. How do we begin to shape and reconfigure our understanding of who God is and why he's doing this? So that is, it's definitely one of the main things you have to begin with or else you'll continue to struggle against it. The main struggle in the desert is trying to escape. Mm -hmm. We keep trying, (laughs) we struggle against what ends up being God himself. Yeah. And we try and try and try to escape it when the better thing to do is to not just face it, but lean into it. Yes, it's hard. It's meant to be. But the whole point of the desert is to show us that that emptiness there, the lack of food for them, the lack of water for them, the the dryness, the heat, all of that that they experienced was purposeful. And their resistance to all that they experienced was their main problem. And so we have to know, and, and that's one of the things that struck me out of that Hebrews passage, they have not known my ways. And because we don't know God's ways, we resist and we miss the promised land altogether. He says, and and so they will not enter my rest. So we have to know God's ways. What are God's ways? Well, first of all, they're desert ways. Mm -hmm. God leads us into the desert on purpose. And so to resist it is to resist him. It instead we lean into all that's not there, the void. I remember, I remember him asking me in prayer. I mean, it wasn't just everything in the desert is gone. All of your props, all of the things that comforted you are gone. Everything is completely gone. And I remember him asking me, I was in prayer and he said, what do you see? And I I snorted, you know, I'm like, I don't see anything because my eyes were closed, you know? So all, all I saw was black and I, I thought it was ridiculous. I said, nothing. I don't see anything. He said, you see everything. Hmm. 
in the desert where there seems to be nothing, that's actually the place where everything exists in possibility. The possibilities are all there. And he has to clear away everything else so that so that that possibility can remain. Mm -hmm. Because if we're focusing on what we need, if we're focusing on getting what we need rather than the, the possibilities that are there, then that's the only thing we get. And we think that that's the only thing we need, but that's not the only thing we need. The only thing we really need is him. The possibilities are all there at the same time. So he leads us there to the desert in order to realize his ways. His ways are desert ways, and he teaches us in repetition. So the desert deprivations will always have a common theme, and that common theme is meant to pull up rejection, worthlessness, and abandonment. Those are the roots of all of our woundedness. And when we don't have what we need, we start to feel abandoned, we feel rejected, and that's when we start to feel worthless. Mm -hmm. And every single pop quiz that the people of Israel had in the desert was meant to draw that out of them, and it did. We can see their words and what what they said. You just brought us out here to kill us. You know, they said over and over and over again. And yet, that was God's way of trying to teach them in a repetitive way. You didn't have what you need there, and I provided it. You didn't have what you needed here, but I provided it. And instead of being grateful for the the small gift, all they did was focus on what they still did not have. And all that did was bring more deprivation. So God's ways are desert ways, and he teaches in repetition through those pop quizzes. So we have to look in our lives and say, what's the common theme in the stuff I'm suffering right now? Mm-hmm. And when when we start to, to identify the feelings that are brought up in these deprivations, we get angry, we get scared, we and and underneath that fear and and anger is old stuff, abandonment, rejection, and worthlessness. That's what he's really trying to get to. I think it's worth pointing out here. We tend to think of ourselves as, you know, capable, self-sufficient people. So, you know, God, you just got to tell me this once and I'll take care of it. But the truth is, is that we are absolutely habitual creatures that, that often work on instinct that we don't fully understand. I recall I did an extended fast one time and long about day seven of that fast, there was this survival instinct that kicked in that said, you were going to die if you don't eat food. And it was driving. And I had, I, it was almost impossible to deny. And I got to the end of that day and it, and then it wasn't a problem ever again during the course of that fast. But there is this, this primal protective instinct that when we've been wounded or when we've been anything else and now we're in the desert, it's like, if I don't get this, this one thing that my life thinks that I need, then it's all on me. And, and we just panic, panic. That's the word. It has to be this means of repetition where God says, nope, see, I'm taking care of it. Nope. See, I'm taking care of it. Nope. See, I'm, I've got you for us to be able to train that panic away. Yes. And the other thing that he's doing is that he goes deeper every time. We expect that he's just going to heal us. Poof. <laughs> we expect to be poofed, you know, so that that suddenly everything is going to just go away. But God does not work like that typically. Now he can, 
And I, I don't ever tell people not to ask for that because you never know. But right. don't get frustrated if it's slow because that's the way God works. I got so angry that we kept going around my father wound over and over and over and over again. Every single pop quiz was was tweaking that father wound. And I got so sick of it. I got sick of it. And I said, Lord, I have to know that there is an end point to this. There has to be a yeah. point at which this is finally and truly healed. And I don't have to go through this again. And he, and I said, I'm sick of going around this mountain. And that's exactly what the children of Israel did. They yep. circled Mount Sinai over and over and over again for 40 years. And he finally told me, he said, yes, they did. But, and so are you. But every time you circle it, we're going a little higher every time. Yeah. We can't get frustrated with the repetition because Every time he he goes deeper into the wound and he pulls a little more of it out. And what we what we begin to realize is my soul is so deep and such an abyss of pain and love that only God can get there. Yeah. And and that's when we finally start to kind of relax into the difficulty because we realize that God is doing something that is we it's undoable by us. We can't reach that far. We don't know where it is. We can't get to the, to the root. Only he can do it. And so when we cooperate with that repetition, he goes deeper every time and we go higher every time. So it's not a wasted journey that we're just going round and round in circles. There is a method to yeah. it. We're talking with Sonia Corbett about the new book, Just Rest, available on Ave Maria Press. God wants to heal our whole selves, because we are body and soul. We're, we're uh, thoughts and emotions. We're not just some of those parts, right? We are a conglomerate of this beautiful, amazing creation. But that means that there's not just one method of doing this. There's not just, God, you know, God's not just going to heal this one aspect of who we are. God is in the business of uh, whole person sanctification. That's why it takes so long. Right? <laughs> so you, in the book, you after we learn God's ways, you go through learning rest in each of these different places, in our, in our thoughts and our emotions and our body and our soul. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but let's talk about how does rest look different in these different aspects of who we are? So as soon as you don't have what you need, you panic. Yeah. The panic begins in the thoughts. And the more you focus on the thoughts of fear and deprivation, the more you get deprivation and fear. Instead, what he's trying to do is, is arrest that process of panic. He wants us to realize that we can control our thoughts and we must control our thoughts or we're never going to rest. So we have to learn to interrupt that process. And through the book, um, and especially through the series that I'm doing on anxiety, we talk about the process, the process of thought. And the more you think along a particular line, the more the brain lays down these permanent thinking patterns. So if you're thinking negatively, you're going to continue to get negativity. But if you stop that pattern and begin to think positively, which is what part of the, the desert is meant to do is to, to show us that, that positive things can happen and will happen if we're trusting. So rest in thoughts is absolutely necessary because if we think too long about something, the emotion gets laid down with it, according to the biology and the way thought works. And 
So if we can learn to control our thoughts, then our emotions will typically follow. What I found, however, though, I, I was able to control my thoughts, but then it started to feel fake. Yeah. I'm trying to just psych myself up with good thoughts, right? Positive thinking and all that. And, and then the next process came, which was we have to learn how to allow God to transform our emotions. And for me, because I did have trauma and I did have deep wounds in my past, that was something that was not obvious until I hit the wall with controlling my thoughts. I, I realized that this is fake. I'm just this positive thinking thing, there's, there's got to be more to it because I'm not really resting yet. Yeah. I, I am able to control my thoughts and yet I'm not resting. That's when he pulled the real root out with my promise and my woundedness. And that's when we had to start looking at emotional issues because the emotion drives the thinking when it's old, when it's really right. old, it drives all of our thinking and all of our behavior. So then he began to go a lot deeper with the emotions and those we can't, we can't handle those on our own. They have to be transformed in the Holy Spirit. So I offer through the book, a visualization technique that helps us get in touch with the Holy Spirit so he can give us his wisdom, his perspective on our situation. And he heals that emotion. He healed that wound and he did it by provoking the very fear that I was so terrified of, which was rejection. Yeah. He and, and rejection after rejection after rejection through trying to get published, which was my promise. Every single time that happened, it would just send me into this oh my gosh, this just tailspin of all this ugly, ugly emotion, rage, fear, all of this. And finally, we got to the point where he put his finger on the root of it and I lost myself. Yeah. I was standing in my yard, screaming, cussing God, <laughs> everything. And, and I said, I'm done. I am done now. I am completely done. And he said, finally. <laughs> and then he was able to pull that emotion up and he was able to heal it because we had gotten to the root issue. Yeah. And that's when everything began to change. Then we could address the body and the soul in the rest of Sabbath and worship. But that yeah. thought and emotion has to be done first. Well, and I, you know, as you even started this process, it reminds me of Colossians. Colossians 3, where, where Paul says... Set your mind on things that are above where yes. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he and goes- Philippians is full of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, whatever is right and just and pure, think on Beautiful, these things. Beautiful, yeah. Right. Um, so there is this scriptural instruction for us to, you know, we want to jump, jump straight to the spiritual or jump straight to the the first Corinthians. If I if I offer my body to be burned, right? We want to jump <laughs> right. straight to the, the the doing and God is telling us through scripture, no, 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 let's start. Let's start with the patterns of your mind. Let's start with how you are framing your perspective of the world and then we can do everything else. Well, this is one of the main things that I see that we as Catholics, this is where we err. We think that suffering is just meant to be offered up. Right. We offer it up for ourselves. We offer it up for those souls in purgatory, whatever. And we think that's its whole function. But that's not the point of suffering. Mm -hmm. The point of suffering is to heal us. And so when we cooperate with the sufferings that God allows, we start to feel this deprivation come. We start, and he, he allows us to, to, and he places us in the desert in order to pull all of that up. And if we cooperate with him at every step, he will heal it. 
the suffering is meant to heal us of much, much deeper wounds than we ever suspected were present. And if we don't cooperate with that suffering, if we just offer it up without cooperating with it, mm-hmm. that's when we do purgatory time. Well, you know, to, yeah, to we me, don't want to do that. To me, the whole idea of offering it up is this idea of entering into rest. It It is exactly letting it go and offering it to God and say, use it for what you will. But we need to cooperate with it because yeah. it's meant to it's meant to direct our attention to our thoughts and our emotions yeah. and our woundedness and all that stuff. If we're not cooperating with the Holy Spirit there, then we've missed the whole point. It doesn't it's good to offer it up, but that's not the point of suffering. The point yeah. of suffering is to purify us according to the doctors of prayer. There's so much more that that we just don't have time to get into, but the good news is you've written it all down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's in this book, Just Rest, Receiving God's Renewing Presence in the Deserts of Your Life, available right now on Ave Maria Press. Go pick it up today, because uh, I guarantee, if maybe you've already got this figured out, but you know someone who's in the midst of this desert right now, pick up a copy, send it to them. Sonia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Always my pleasure. Thank you. If you missed any part of my conversation with Sonia Corbett, you want to listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, you can also click that link in the top right-hand corner of the page that says support the show hyphen Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air and in return, in gratitude, we give them an extra segment each and every week uh, with our guests. And so there's uh, extra content with Sonia this week available to all those who support the show. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner of the page to learn more. Now let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of our Verbum library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture with the church, putting the magisterial documents, doctors, fathers of the church at your fingertips as you read through and study the Word of God. Learn more at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, and this comes from the readings this Sunday. Now, one of the things we learn from the the fathers of the church and even from the catechism is that we have to read Scripture through uh, a number of different lenses. The the first lens is that this is a prophetic promise uh, through the prophet Isaiah from God to his people that he was going to restore all the things that are broken, right? He's going to bring healing. He's going to bring not only healing to the people who are blind and and deaf and lame, but he's also going to bring healing to the land as streams will burst forth in the desert. But there's another way that we can read this scripture today and, and a different sense of that scripture and one that I think suits us in our, in our direction today, and it's this. God is going to bring this healing and he's going to provide refreshment in the desert. These streams that burst forth They're bursting forth in the desert. They're going to bring life in the desert. And so for us, we need to be in the desert to partake, to enjoy, to receive the benefits of those healing streams. And so this is the promise that even in those places that seem barren to us, God is not only present, but here is your God coming with vindication and divine recompense to save you, to save us in that place of the desert. So as you look around and everything looks barren and wild and wilderness, realize that this is the place that God brings life and refreshment and and a place that only he can do it 
so that we can't confuse it with any other uh, of our own effort or someone else coming to to kind of help us along. No, this is in the desert. It's fully the presence and the the fulfillment of the promise of God that brings us life and sustenance and healing. Our reading from church history today comes from a sermon by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Let us take our stand on secure ground, leaning with all our strength on Christ, the most solid rock. According to his words, he set my feet on a rock and guided my steps. Thus, firmly established, let us begin to contemplate, to see what he is saying to us and what reply we ought to make to his charges. The first stage of contemplation, my dear brothers, is to constantly consider what God wants, what is pleasing to him, what is acceptable in his eyes. We all offend in many things. Our strength cannot match the rectitude of God's will, being neither one with it nor wholly in accord with it. Let us then humble ourselves under the powerful hand of the Most High God and be concerned to show ourselves unworthy before his merciful gaze, saying, Heal me, Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. And again, Lord, have mercy on me. Heal my soul, because I have sinned against you. Once the eye of the soul has been purified by such considerations, we no longer abide within our own spirit in a sense of sorrow, but abide rather in the Spirit of God with great delight. No longer do we consider what is the will of God for us, but rather what it is in itself, for our life is in His will. Thus, we are convinced that what is according to His will is in every way more advantageous and fitting for us. And so, concerned as we are to preserve the life of our soul, we should be equally concerned, insofar as we can, not to deviate from His will. Thus, having made some progress in our spiritual exercise under the guidance of the Spirit who searches the deep things of God, let us reflect how sweet is the Lord and how good He is in Himself. In the words of His prophet, let us pray to see God's will. No longer shall we frequent our own hearts, but his temple. At the same time, we shall say, My soul is humbled within me, therefore I shall be mindful of you. The whole of the spiritual life consists of these two elements. When we think of ourselves, we are perturbed and filled with salutary sadness. When we think of the Lord, we are revived to find consolation in the joy of the Holy Spirit. From the first, we derive fear and humility. From the second, hope and love. That reading comes from a sermon by St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And there's one thing here in particular that stands out to me. It's this line uh, right toward the middle. It says, We no longer consider what is the will of God for us, but rather what it is in itself. And this reminds me of, uh, of an interview we did a, just a little bit over a year ago during uh, towards the end of Lent. Uh, we had Father Simeon Spitz on, and he was talking about our Lenten journey through the eyes of the Exodus, so a similar premise. Um, and in there, he's talking about the children of Israel uh, had no doubt that, that God was a miracle worker, 
right? Uh, they saw the 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 great miracles of uh, Moses coming down with his face shining from from the Mount Sinai. They saw they crossed the Red Sea on dry land. They saw all of these miraculous things, and they in no way doubted that God was capable of doing those things. What they were unsure of, and I think what we also are unsure of, is whether or not God will continue to be with us. Well, yeah, God, I know that you you led me through that difficulty before. I know that we've gone around this mountain one time, and we did it successfully, and you were able to meet my needs. But here we are again, and I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that you're really going to stick around this time. I know you're capable of it, but are you really going to be here with me and for me? And so we think in terms of, God, what is your will for me? Are you going to be for me? then we're going to get to this place as we continue to journey with God through the desert and through following turn by turn the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud as it manifests itself to us today. We're going to get to this place where we realize that God really is with us and for us. And so now I don't have to worry about, God, are you going to stick around? What's your will for my life? What's your will for my experience? But I can look and say, God, what's your will? I just, now that I know you're going to be here and I'm settled in that and I'm resting in that, now what is your will just in general, not specifically to, to the situations that I find myself, but now what is it that you're moving toward and how can I be in that? And you see the perspective has shifted there. Now it's no longer about God doing something for us and God somehow taking care of the difficult situations in our life. Now it's about us being united with him in his will. Now that whole direction, that whole thing is shifted. And now we are made sharers and participants in the divine nature and in the divine life. <sighs> this is... So easy to say out loud, like it sounds like a really easy category to, to manage, and yet <laughs> it's a hard thing to, to really live, to not be caught up in the desert and in the fear and in the panic and in the frustration of all that's going on around us that doesn't seem to be going right. But the one thing I can tell you, and I can tell you this from personal experience, that God is going to be present in your desert. Even if it's a dark night of the soul where you don't feel that he's nearby, God is going to be present in your desert. And he's going to be active in your desert, even in ways that we might not be able to perceive. And just like he did in the Exodus, just like he did for the children of Israel who are called by his name and destined for the promise, even in their wanderings, he was making preparations for them to be recipients of the promise that he had made. And he will do the same for us. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Anil Thomas and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers. And until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone 
suffices. 